to the Jay's Journal Podcast. I'm your host, Ari Shapiro, and on tonight's show, I promise you a healthy dose of optimism laced with a few, few traces of idealism. The reason being is I've got a fantastic round table for you, featuring three minor league aficionados, men who know their minor league talent in ways that you and I probably could never appreciate. I'm talking about Craig Borden from Jay's Journal. I'm talking about Jason Waddell from Prospects1500.com. And I'm talking about the voice of the Lansing Lugnuts, Jesse Goldberg-Strausler. Before we get rolling, let's quickly address the fact that the Boston Red Sox demonstrated why they are the big team in the AL East. Handily took care of the Blue Jays and sweeping them. Not really much to say in terms of any legitimate highlights. It was an example of what happens when a team that's hobbled by injuries and can't get clutch hits or take a base without issues ends up running headfirst into a team that is a five-tool, all facets of the game juggernaut. Um, Boston can beat you in many different ways. Of course, it doesn't hurt when you've got arms like Chris Sale coming at you. But for the Blue Jays now, it comes down to judging just what talent will be making its way in the expanded roster for fans to appreciate what the future looks like. And don't fool yourself. These next few weeks are crucial to the organization in making sure that they position themselves properly for the angry season ticket holders and the Fairweather fan that left months ago when it was evident that this team was not going to win anything in 2017, and now there's a great deal of doubt whether or not 2018 will present itself as a legitimate contending year, especially knowing what other AL East powers are up to, in particular New York and Boston, and recognizing that even though 30 to $40 million in payroll may free up, there's the issue of whether or not the parent company will want to actually spend the money on its baseball product. So there are a lot of questions up in the air. But certainly with this round table on tonight's show, I can tell you we're going to give you some phenomenal answers about what to look forward to in the Blue Jays minor league system. The kind of young, raw, opportunistic, and elite talent that looks to make the majors. And what you can expect in the weeks, months, and years to come when it comes to appreciating just how progressive and competitive this baseball club really will be. So all afternoon, I was talking about having a minor league edition of the round table. And I'm somewhat loath to call it that because the three baseball minds that are on the round table this evening, it's not that they know so much about the minors. It's that they have a real sense of context and can talk to us about what the present really means for the next few years in the city when it comes to the minor league system. Um, I've got a writer and contributor with Fan Sided, who's also the minor league guru for Jay's Journal on the show. Craig Borden is here. Um, someone who covers the Florida State League for Prospect1500.com and is also a prodigious baseball writer, Jason Riddell. And of course, one of my favorite guests, he's an author, a podcaster, and the radio voice of the Lansing Lugnuts. Always a pleasure to have Jesse Goldberg-Strasler on the podcast. Gentlemen, Great having you here. Let's start with Jesse. The question that's been on my mind, especially in lieu of this series with the Boston Red Sox, where, let's face it, Jesse, we didn't expect the team to do very well against the juggernaut that, that are the Sox. But you have to start thinking when you see a team being outplayed as badly as they were, how soon before we see the cavalry in the form of young talent being given a chance over players who are clearly underachieving and are showing no signs of contributing? September roster expansion. 
I think that's pretty simple. The rosters will expand, and the Blue Jays will go right into AAA Buffalo, and they'll call up some guys. Teoscar Hernandez is going to be coming up. Maybe Carlos Ramirez. I've seen a number of other names listed as guys who are good candidates to get the call. But I think right now that the Blue Jays, and let's take Ryan Tapera. How much did we see Tapera shuttle back and forth between AAA and the majors before he finally stuck as an effective arm? We're seeing guys like Tim Meza or even Danny Barnes has run out of steam a little bit, who I think are going to be effective major league relievers down the road. But they're pitching very important innings and trying to get very important outs. And because those outs are under a microscope, as these guys are still adjusting and still understanding what it takes to pitch to the major league level, their failures are magnified. So I really do think once, a, once the expansion hits, once rosters expand, once the Blue Jays can call up some more guys, that's going to help, and that's going to help majorly. But also, we need to fast forward a little bit for some of these youngsters because their failings right now are not happening at a good time, and yet I think you give them another year or so, Tim Mesa is going to be a quality left-hander for this bullpen. And, Craig, tell me, are there specific players that you absolutely want to see called up in September as a result of the expanded roster that you feel should be given more than ample time to prove themselves at the major league level? What are some names that come to mind? I definitely agree with Jesse on Tim Mesa. I, I love his arm, and I love watching him pitch. Uh, he's been a pleasure to watch with everybody this year. He's been on a couple different teams, and his pitches just move, and I am – eagerly awaiting the fact that when he's going to finally make it all click and this is going to be, I, I honestly see him as our main left-hander going forward. No offense to Aaron Luke and some of the guys that we've had fill in that role, but he's a guy that has plenty of talent that can jump right into that role, I think, in the close to year future here. And these innings coming in September are going to lead to what he's going to get out of that. You give him some of those big contributing innings. And honestly, I uh, one of our guys at Jay's Journal this morning, and I actually agree with this, give Roberto Ostuna, who's Roberto Ostuna a little bit of a break, let Brian Tapera slide into that closer's role to take September just so he can ease the burden a little bit. But that moves everybody up the line a little bit, having the Mazes closer to you know, having some of these big innings at the end of games because you're going to have – plenty of offense, I think. So I know the Blue Jays have been slumping lately at the plate, but um, I think an injection of youth here at the end of the season is going to give us some good shocking uh, results. Say Oscar Hernandez is one that's been gripping up the plate at the AAA level for the Buffalo Bison. Unfortunately, it was here last week, uh, weekend with the uh, Bison here in Rochester, New York, where I live. Um, he had a double in the two games I got to go to, and that was it. So but he's got a beautiful swing, and there's plenty of guys like him that deserve a chance. And there might be a few surprises. I'm honestly wondering if they're ever going to catch uh, Danny Jansen and actually get him to stop hitting this year at all. So maybe this is where you bring him up and see if he can hang. See, we can't get anybody in the catching role in Toronto to begin with. Yeah, I agree. I think realistically, um, looking at who's coming up, uh, we have to take a glance at the 40-man roster, which I don't have in front of me. Um, but I know that um, Alford is on the 40-man, um, so I would really like to see Anthony Alford uh, get some time the last month of the season uh, once the the uh, AA season's over. Teoscar Hernandez, I'm really surprised that he hasn't uh, he hasn't gotten his chance yet. Um, I don't really know what more he's supposed to do at AAA uh, before he gets a chance to to see if he can be the everyday center fielder or left fielder in Toronto. 
it makes me wonder who they're going to bench to clear room for the Alfreds, the Hernandez, and everybody. You know, is Jose Bautista going to ride the bench the rest of the season? I don't think you're going to make them too happy doing that. So it's going to be interesting to see how Gibby uh, plays around with all the innings at the end of the season here. That's definitely something that uh, I think that's where he's going to earn his money, quite frankly. How do you juggle some of these personalities that have underperformed that you're paying a boatload of money to uh, when clearly this team isn't ready to contend and and some changes and some youth need to be injected into it? I think you can find at bats for Bautista uh, at DH and first base and right field and, uh, you know, with a day or two off during the week. I had tweeted earlier in watching the Boston series and, I believe uh, Hernandez stole a base, and I tweeted something along the lines of how the Blue Jays are one of the worst teams in baseball for every facet of the running game, not just for their inability to steal bases, but for the number of ground, the number of times they ground into double plays, as well as the, the relatively minute number of doubles that they have. These are all reflections of a general lack of team speed. And I'm wondering, Jason, and, and for all three of you, knowing the minor league system as you do, when will this organization smarten up and understand that ignoring the speed game is taking away such a crucial dimension of baseball that is one of the reasons fans enjoy going out to the park and watching it in the first place? Well, I think that this year's Toronto team, and, and in the past, I've, I've described them as, as beer league softball players that are just on the back leg, mm. you know, trying to hit three-run home runs. Um, but I think that it, it's... I don't know if it's a managerial uh, decision on the way that Gibby wants to wants to run his team, much like you kind of see how the Oakland Athletics really don't steal a lot of bases and have traditionally, ever since Ricky Henderson left uh, or retired, haven't really had those guys that they're not known as a running team. Or if it's just a fact that outside of Kevin Pillar, is anybody on that team uh, even remotely fast? But the two guys that we've already mentioned, Alford and Hernandez, are dynamic guys um, that can cause havoc on the base pass. And while they may not be 40 to 50 stolen base guys, they are guys that can take the extra base. Um, They can be aggressive uh, on the base pass. And I think aggressiveness on the base pass is is vital uh, to a team that has trouble scoring runs and to a team that is solely reliant on the three-run home run. Let me add in, too, that there's Alford, there's Hernandez, there's Roman Fields at AAA, that if you want to call up a guy to run the bases and make things happen, Roman is one of the fastest guys that you can find. And there's speed below in the system. At AA, there's Jonathan Davis, who's going to be going to the Arizona Fall League, and he's an igniter all over the place. And you can look further down. I saw Edward Olivares with the Lugnuts this year. Fantastic speed. There's speed beneath the lug nuts. There's speed in Vancouver with a guy like Reggie Pruitt and others. Bo Bouchette is no slouch on the base paths. So I really do think that there's athleticism coming up, especially with an Alford, especially with a Hernandez, and with a Roman Fields. So I think that this is just a temporary thing for Toronto. I agree. And, and, and another guy that's been absolutely on fire in Dunedin, Vlad Jr. is getting a lot of the, a lot of the pub for publicity for August, but D.J. Davis has been scorching um, in the second half of the season. And he's gotten his average up to respectable. I think it's a, he's gotten it up over 250 now. And he's a 30-stolen base guy. He is a guy 
that if he could get on base enough at the major league level, could steal you 50 bases. Um, I don't know if he projects as an I'm looking at his slash line right now. Second half of the CD, 367 OPP, OPS 742. And the OPS is 833 this month of August with a 338 batting average. DJ Davis's age, he is 23. (laughs) He's still only 23 years old. He's he's one of those first-round picks that have been lost in the shuffle. I had the pleasure of watching Roman Fields here in uh, Rochester last week, and it just, he looked like he was making everybody uncomfortable on the mound. He walked a couple of times. He also had a few singles. Correct me if I'm wrong. He's batting near 300. He's figured things out, and it, I would love to see him get a chance with the Blue Jays. But and is he going to be anything more than like what Dalton Pompey was the last couple of years? I know he's finally out of rehab, possibly soon, but. Um, I just don't I, – I wish they would give him a better chance and just, hey, get out there, steal some bases, and pinch run for everybody. But the inflection of giving some guys that can actually drive some doubles into the gaps in the Rogers Center along with some speed. I, I'm sure you guys recall that the Tampa Bay Rays had a bunch of guys in the years that they were making the playoffs in the, in the uh, World Series the one year. They had a, a bunch of guys that stole 10 bases each, and they led majors in stolen bases. I'm correct. The one year that they beat, they lost to the Phillies in the World Series. Well, and the Kansas City Royals have also laid out a blueprint of of success. If you don't have a lot of power, which Kauffman Stadium is not traditionally a, a hitter's ballpark, but what they did to John Lester a couple years in the in the uh, wild card game, I mean, they just ran Oakland right out of the playoffs. I, I think that you got to have a good balance, um, and and the Rogers Centers. The Rogers Center is a hitter's ballpark, so you can have guys like Smoke in the middle, and and uh, even if you want to bring Bautista back, that that can provide that sort of punch. But they definitely they need to be surrounded by dynamic athletes, and if you surround those guys around a bunch of 220 low on base uh, strikeout hitters that don't have 30 homer power and shouldn't be swinging for the fences then you're going to get a, an offense that produces the way that they've produced this year. That's why it's so important to get guys at the top of the order to get on. It's not so bad to have Bautista or Morales or to have whomever, Justin Spoke, swing for the fences. If they're guys at first and second base, and if they collect a base hit, they're scoring. And if they hit one to the gap, you're driving in two runs. And that way they don't have to worry about going yard and the, when their homers occur that they're solo shots. Jesse, it's very difficult to put faith in an organization's decision-making process when their leadoff hitter is Jose Bautista. I mean, that, that in itself, that, that eventual decision, wouldn't you agree, just threw any notion of baseball sensibility or tradition out the window for this franchise in 27? I don't, I don't mind tradition. I, I really like a team that is saying, what do we want from our leadoff man? And if you feel that Jose Bautista is going to stand in and he's going to make the pitcher labor, and that is he's going to make the pitcher throw some high-stress pitches and make the pitcher throw a lot of them, work that at that, even if it ends in a strikeout, to allow his teammates the chance to see them. That's not so bad in my book, especially when it comes from looking around and saying, this is our best option. The thing that they need is other options. (laughs) They need other guys where they can say, this guy would make a better leadoff hitter. If you're not going to build your team around speed and you're going to you're going to swing for the fences, then I at least want a guy that has the ability to to work a count. And, and his batting average is terrible, but 
he's traditionally always been a high on-base percentage guy since he's been with Toronto. So I don't mind it if you don't have anything else and you have enough punch in the middle of the order, and it gets Jose Bautista an extra at bat. It's almost like he's lead off out of attrition. It is nice to see, though, that regardless of where we currently stand, there is plenty of athleticism coming, though. And you guys agree with me on this one, that the fact that just having some guys that are but breaking that mold away from the Bautista hit everything and crush it, uh, swing hard in case you miss it philosophy, it doesn't seem to be ringing true through the minor league system. It's the young, athletic, multi-tool players, and I think those having all those different variables is actually what could be a very scary team going through here in the future. Well, it's remarkable for me to look at Anthony Alford's numbers, and I associated him as a high strikeout guy. And in 68 games, 245 at-bats, only 45 Ks. That Alford really has cut down the strikeout numbers this year. So, Ari, to get back to that question about Jose Bautista, I think the organization, I think the brass at the top, if you ask them, they'd say, this isn't optimal. This is not where we want to be. Please just give us time because I really do think that they would rather have something better coming down the line. And they look at next year when they hope to have both Hernandez and Alford in the outfield. And they say, we'll be a better team then. Ultimately, Jose chose the worst possible year to underachieve this greatly. If he had had the kind of year that was projected as a typical average, you know, 37, 38-year-old in the twilight of his career, Jose Bautista year, then maybe this team, the fans would have received better news throughout the year. Unfortunately, I think he's got the third or second worst all-time lowest batting average at this stage in the regular season. I mean, he's up there with like Alfredo Griffin and Aaron Hill, who also struggled <laughs> with the Mendoza. But Okay, but, but other... hang on. Here, here's the difference between him and those guys. Doesn't he feel like Carlos Pena, as long as we're going back to 2008 Tampa Bay? Yeah. That low batting average, the high yeah. walks and the high strikeouts, or maybe an, even an Adam Dunn. Whereas with Griffin, with Hill, they're not still going to draw tons of walks and hit for tons of power. With Bautista, you go, I know you might only get one hit today. Please make it a home run. Well, I agree with you conceptually. Unfortunately, his strikeout-to-walk ratio this year has also suffered greatly. His on-base percentage is nowhere near where he'd like it to be. But but I'm, I'm willing to concede that you want to go with the option that's a catalyst in your lineup. And principally, I've always been fine with Bautista being that, especially since he's replacing someone who was a catalyst before he was injured. And I'm going to ask you this question, Jesse. In a week where we learned that Roberto Alomar was the greatest Blue Jay of all time, a second baseman, one that spoiled this city absolutely silly for the four and a half years that he was here. And then knowing the news that Devin Travis has had a setback and probably won't even be back maybe to start next year, my question to you is what is this organization going to do with the continuous black hole that's been at second base for what seems like two and a half decades now? Okay, so I'm, I'm looking right at the farm system uh, because I really do think Devin Chavez, the same thing for me, like Dalton Pony Pompey, where you just go, I'm sorry, you guys, you've got to prove to us that you can play without getting hurt, whatever weirdness is going on, whatever sets you back next. Right now, I feel that same way about a number of other Blue Jays, too, where you should not count on them. If they surprise you, good. But right now, consider them not, uh, not reliable. So I look right down to the minor leagues, and I say, whether it's Bo Bichette, or, and, and really, he's my headliner. Maybe it's Lourdes Gurriel. That you look right into your farm system and you say, who's a guy that can come up and play that middle infield role for me? 
that is where I think you need to build. I don't think you get a stopgap measure that you put in there at second base and serves as a stop sign because the organization has sudden depth in the middle infield. It's Richard Arrania and Lourdes Gurriel in double A. It's, uh, it is Bo Bichette at high A. And let's see, Tim Lopes is there. And there are other guys, <laughs> you know, beneath the lug nuts. You just drafted a ton, right? You've got Logan Wormuth and Cullen Large and Kevin Vicuña and Samad Taylor, who you traded for from the Cleveland Indians. Uh, so it's not going to be an immediate fix tomorrow, but I really do think that they're certainly turning this position into a fertile spot in the minors. I think one thing that as a scouting uh, or as a scouting uh, front office, what they've done really well in the last couple of years is add athleticism up the middle. I don't think Bo Bichette is going to stick at shortstop, having watched him play uh, a number of times. Um, but I do think that he's he's probably going to be better off at second base. Um, Guriel can play shortstop. Uh, he keeps running into other shortstops that uh, that are that are ranked a little bit higher than him between Bichette and Urania. But he's looked good at second base from what I've seen on video. Um, so I do think that there is some depth there coming. Kevin Biggio has has had a pretty good full first season. I don't know if he can be an everyday regular, but I think having versatile guys like like Guriel who can play all over the field and Biggio who can play all over the field, uh, if you still have Devin Travis and he does stay healthy and he and he you do catch lightning in a bottle, then you have depth, and I think that's what's lacking at the major league system is, is that depth to plug in guys when, when, the, when the Travises and the Tulos do go down. I agree with both of you guys, and honestly one of the guys I'm the most excited for coming spring training this coming year is Lawrence Correll and Richard Guerrero. I really think one of the two of them are going to either just outshine everybody, and it's going to be very similar to uh, uh, like what Kevin Pillar and the guys did in the previous spring trainings when they finally, you know, made it to make the Toronto Blue Jays and suck. Um, it might not be that quick, and they probably will still get sent down and play, you know, some time with AAA in Buffalo, but there's some more depth at that left, that position, but like we were just saying, it's just one level too low to help this team out currently, but in the next year or two, that position looks a lot better than it previously did. And Gurriel's just getting the rust off. We really don't know how good he is. He missed most of the first half. Um, I think the plan, if had he not been hurt, was he'd have been in double A and probably pushing toward a promotion uh, at this point. But he missed so much time with the defection, and he missed so much time in the first half. Uh, but he's looked really good since they promoted him to double A. And uh, I mean, it would not surprise me if if the Jays have Urena and and Gurriel up the middle next year, as early as next year. Um, but ultimately, it depends on what the front office wants to do. Are they contenders, or are they, uh, are they going to rebuild and reload at the same time? I think regardless of Arizona Fall League, guys, but yeah, Arizona Fall League, that performance will be huge. But um, wherever they go, they're still going to be looking at shopping and seeing possibly who they can kick the tires on to bring in. I did have the pleasure of watching uh, Goriel play at second and in shortstop when I went and visited the Fisher Cats, and he played a very slick position at both spots, and um, he did have a two-run home run the one night I was there. And like you said, he's, he's just he's in spring training while everybody else is in mid-season form, and it'll be exciting to see what he can do with a full season. 
and he's on the 40-man roster, and he's and he's being paid a major league contract. So it's only a matter of time before he's on the on the Toronto team and playing somewhere. So I do think that 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 could happen in September too. He could be a guy that comes up in September when the Double A playoffs are over. Craig, I'm wondering, is there anyone besides Bichette? and Guerrero Jr. that you would consider to be untouchable in the system should an opportunity present itself during the offseason or at some point moving forward for Shapiro to to make a major league trade featuring prospects? I have plenty of guys that I am very big fans of, but I don't know outside of the two of them who would be, you know, get that label of untouchable. Um, I, I think they have a bunch of guys right now, if they sold on them, they would be selling on their low side. The Sean Reed Foley's, the John Harris's, uh, they've been so inconsistent, but I know that they have the talent to do something. And it, we saw with Sean Reed Foley, especially last season, and I know Jesse can back me up on this one. He was lights out and had his control all season. But this year he's been kind of spotty with, you know, good start, good start, bad start, good start, back and forth. And I think we have a lot of those guys mixed in right now that if you sold on them, you're not really getting the value that you would get back in a trade for what you think you would be getting for those former first-round drafts. I've got a guy. I put Nate Pearson, untouchable. Don't put your finger on that guy, right? Keep him in the organization. Keep him moving up. Everything that I've heard is that he's a monster. I bet you're looking forward to seeing him next season, I bet. <laughs> you know what? If they skipped us, if they move Nate Pearson yeah. right into Dunedin, that'd be okay they with might. me. Yeah, it probably will happen because he's a college pitcher. Video. I um I don't know if anyone would be considered untouchable outside of uh, those two, um, but I ultimately it depends on what you're going to get and how much long-term control you have over the guy. I mean, in the AL East, I'm a believer. Even though the Blue Jays have have been in the playoffs the past couple of years, I think that the the team has gotten older, and I think that they need to. I would I would start positioning the team to get more younger and more athletic, um, because there's a lot of talent coming, and I would I would hold off on even trying to trade any of the marginal um, guys in the top 20, top 30 prospects in the organization, unless you get blown away and you get a young controllable asset. I mean I I definitely would I would hate to see someone like Ryan Barucki traded for uh, a 30 year old starting pitcher that's out of arbitration. I would much rather have Barucki at this point and, and, and roll with the farm system. Following up with that, for 2018, who do we think is arri- uh, arriving? So I'll lead off. Ryan Barucki is going to arrive in 2018. So is Lourdes Gurriel, we believe. Anthony Alford's going to stick. Uh, Hernandez is going to come up. Who else do you think arrives in the majors from the minor league system? Danny Jansen. Definitely. Um, I think uh, I think next year there's a chance Vlad Jr. maybe by the end of the season. I'm thinking Connor Carlos Panis Rivera is a guy is I like play in the uh, bullpen. I think I think he's got the stuff that he's going to be able to jump right from uh, Buffalo. So let's get everyone's opinion, starting with Jason. Who of the elite prospects that we've been discussing, and we've covered a number of of different uh, tiered. Um, seasoned talent, some that are ready to make the jump next year, some we'll see in 2019 and continue on with the nucleus of what we've talked about before that exists with the Blue Jays, Asuna, Stroman, Sanchez, to be joined by 
who will be the first starter, in your opinion, from the minor leagues on this team that we can officially say he's made it to the majors and he's our everyday position player or pitcher? I think it's going to be Hernandez. I think there was a reason that they DFA'd Aoki. Um, I think he's going to be. I think he's going to be the first uh, guy to crack that lineup, then followed by Alford, Guriel, hopefully Urena, um, Jansen. I think a lot of those guys that are that are really successful at Double A. Um, it's more I, to me. It's more of a test than the International League and the Triple A. Um, if you can if you can succeed at Double A, I think it's a good prognosticator on what sort of a major league player you can be. And I think Triple A is filled with so many guys that are journeymen filling out rosters. I, I know that a lot of a lot of organizations prefer to to, to base the evaluation on what they're doing against Double A competition. So I think a lot of those Fisher Cats players are could be on the way within the next year. I'm very curious to see what kind of season Rowdy Tellez has next year. This has been a trying year for him, and I mean off the field as well as on the field. And so next year I would expect would be his second season in AAA. He was put under a magnifying glass throughout this year. Um, I'm curious to see. He's a proud guy. He's a smart guy. How does he adjust the second go-round? Because I still believe that he's the Jays' first baseman of the future. And he's gotten pretty hot lately, hasn't he? He's been, been swinging it better and better as the year's going on. He heats up as the summer <laughs> gets warmer and warmer. Honestly, I'm curious to see if Ryan Barucki comes into spring training and just continues to mow everybody down like he has done this season. Um, he, there is going to be, I believe, at least one position in the Blue Jays' rotation going next year, regardless of what they do in the free agent market. I think there's going to be a number five starter spot open. You know, we're not. It's gonna be like in the you know early part of the millennium here, where we have the Gustavo just Chessines and the Josh Towers all playing around for that you know fifth spot. But I think Ryan Barucki has the ability to take that job and run away with it. He, he just has. He's smarter than all the pitcher hitters that come up to the plate. It seems like and he knows what he needs to do to get everybody out, and I'm very excited to watch him on MLB TV tonight. Mm-hmm. Barucki, that guy is. Super efficient. To me, that was the most one of the most impressive things I saw about him uh, right before his promotion. It's get the ball, get the get the sign, strike one. Get the ball, get the sign here, strike two. And it's right where I want it to be. And that slider that he's added this year has completely changed his profile as a prospect, in my opinion. And I don't think enough publications are even uh, even talking about him. I can't believe that MLB doesn't have him in the top 15. It's going to be interesting to see what our top 30 prospects look like after this series. It's going to be a complete wild card shuffle, I think, after the top five. I ignore a lot of those. I think that we understand who the prospects are. I think, I think the people in the organization, for example, Danny Jansen is a major league catcher. And if you've got a major league number one catcher, that guy's got to be a top three prospect. Uh, a Danny yeah. Jansen talent does not come around very often. Then again, Bo Bichette and Vlad Guerrero talents do not come around very often either. I, I think that there's premier ability. I would challenge Danny right out of spring training next year. I'd put him right into the major leagues, the number two catcher. What do you got to lose? And you're going to go out and pick up somebody like Jared Salsalmachia again? <laughs> Give him a chance and we'll see what happens. You can pick up another uh, catcher to be your backup catcher, I think, in free agency after spring training if you need to. Well, that's why I'm curious to see where the front office really wants to go. I mean, the AL East is really loaded, and it's loaded with young players. Do you, do you want to try and buy a title with, with mid-30s guys? Um, or do you just want to lick your wounds after this season and say, 
Yeah, we'd love to bring Bautista back, but we're not going to build around Bautista. We're going to build around Donaldson. We're going to we're going to take five cents on the dollar on Tulo, and uh, and give some of these guys a chance to play. And if we're really bad, we'll take the high draft pick and hopefully, based on the way that the front office has been crushing it the last couple of years, we can turn that into an into an overnight impact player who could potentially be up in a year or two. I think that's the key right there. Because worst case scenario. We do have plenty of talent throughout our very underrated minor league system at this point. We needed to trade for an impact player, an impact arm. I think we could turn around and do that. And I'm one of the firm believers that prospects are prospects and good talent is good talent. You need to weigh your, pick your battles on which way you want to go on that one because you've got guys in the system that could be prospects forever even though they were a first-round draft pick. So pick your battles and let's see what they can do in this next season. But they have enough talent to play a, make a playoff team next year. Let me ask each of you then. Let's say you go out there. Let's say you target a superstar type player. What position do you want to put that guy in? Right now with what we got going on, Jesse, I think I'm going for second base or up the middle. Because right now, worst case scenario, I can move Troy Tulowinski to second base if I picked up somebody on the level of like Carlos Correa somehow or something like that. But I'd go for an up-the-middle guy. I would go for a, a starting pitcher. I mean, those are those are the guys. I mean, I know that the Jays are going to have a lot of money in the offseason. Those are the guys that uh, that are going to cost the most, I think, in free agency. I would try and get a starting pitcher that I know can keep the ball down in the zone so they just don't get obliterated by the Rogers Center. Um, a year ago, it was the rotation. That rotation was insane, and that's why the Jays were in the playoffs. And the rotation has really let them down this year. Um, I think even even without an athletic team, if you return this same offense with improved starting pitching, they're still at this point. I think they'd be in contention for a wild card spot. I'm sure you guys agree with me. They, we might have the best internal free agent of all if we actually get Aaron Sanchez for a full season. Correct me if I'm wrong. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Here's my worry. Right? It's I, I'm totally suspicious of the juiced ball. I'm suspicious of the baseball. I'm suspicious of how it's impacted play and everything like that. And so if your pitchers were pitching totally normally and they're victims of the ball, and the ball has also victimized people when it comes to blisters, <laughs> I wonder what kind of ball we're going to be dealing with next year and how that's going to affect play. But, yes, Aaron Sanchez, a healthy Aaron Sanchez, is one of the best starting pitchers in baseball. I think nothing's going to change with the ball because uh, everyone's on the Aaron Judge and Cody Bellinger rookie train. Everyone's on Stanton. This is yeah. what this is what baseball wants. They want home runs. That's why they will they'll tinker with it, you know. And and we'll see pitching start to dominate. And as soon as pitching dominates for a couple of years, all of a sudden, guys that could hit ten home runs a season are now hitting thirty. Rookies are coming up and making like a mockery of the record books. So I think what you've seen this year is a good testament of who can pitch with this ball, and that's who I would go. That's who I'd go out for. I mean, as following the Braves, Julio Tehran was considered an ace going into this season, and he just has not been able to get himself right. Um, Jake Odorizzi was a was not not an ace, but he was a solid number three. He just can't seem to get himself right, you know, without giving up these long home runs that really damage the numbers. I think you got to find a guy that's this year and target the guy that's been successful keeping the ball down 
and hasn't had the issues that some of these other big-name pitchers that would cost a fortune on the trade market would cost you. And only to give you a five-something earned run average, I think that would be a very bad move to to target one of these guys that have struggled on and try and buy low on them. On the flip side of the ball thing, though, you got guys that have just continued to be the status quo. Look at Boston getting Chris Sale. The guy's been nothing short of an MVP uh, caliber player this mm-hmm. season. I agree that there's something possibly going on, but maybe this whole ball thing with the Darren Judges and the Cody Bellingers is maybe this is just a microcosm of what happens when very talented players make it to the major leagues and hit the ground running. Do you? Do I think that Aaron Judge is going to continue to mash the way he has been? I think the second half kind of tells what the real Aaron Judge might be as a balance between the two halves. But I, uh, I, I find it hard to believe that this thing with the blisters and all this other stuff is somehow going to continue to be an issue throughout baseball. Something's going to have to happen in the offseason with the baseballs or whatever it is, whether it's letting the pitchers do something with different to their hands to keep these things from happening. That conversation's going to happen. The players' union can't be happy with this kind of stuff. And to your point about, like, the, um, you know, Aaron Judge and the young players, uh, I think what we're seeing now um, – Guys are getting to the major leagues, and they are more prepared than they've ever been. They're in phenomenal shape. Uh, they're athletic, and they're re- they're. It's almost like they are ready to hit as soon as they step into a batter's box. And seeing more strikes compared to what they might see in the in the in the minors with better lighting and better conditions has really allowed these guys to shine. So I think just talking about some of the players that we've talked about already. These are super talented guys that that are cutting their teeth in the minors and, and producing. I think it's really feasible to think that they can step right in and continue to produce without any sort of, at least that first year, without any sort of big fall-off and probably improvement from what you're getting from established major league guys. I think the preparation on these young guys is just incredible. I think it's safe to say for our listening audience on the show this was probably the most optimistic roundtable I've had in a long time. By listening to the shared appreciation that this roundtable has in what the future looks like, September is going to be a fantastic month for how Rogers positions this young talent as being an exhibition for season ticket holders and fans who aren't quite ready to simply jump off the bandwagon or when it arrives. Let's go around the table now and talk about what you're all up to and where my fans can find you on social media. Let's start with you, Jesse, Craig, and then Jason. Well, the minor league system is coming to an end. Only about one more week to go. And then the playoffs will start around the organization. You can uh, hear the latest with that on Twitter, at Around Nest, as I get in all the radio broadcasters and the Blue Jays organization, Ben Wagner from AAA, all the way down to Rob Fan Vancouver and beyond. So at Around Nest, I'm at Jay Goldstrass, and it's a pleasure to bring you the progress of all of these prospects. I'm Craig Borden, and um, you can find me on Twitter at Craigers1221. I'm going to get my annual September call-up myself, where at Jay's Journal I'm going to start writing Major League Baseball articles. I'm still going to bring you anything I can possibly on the Blue Jays' minor league system. Um, as far as what I've been working on, I just put out an article that says what the Blue Jays should have, should do with this last month of the season, whether it's, you know, keep, for whatever reason, trudging forth on this current path that we're on, hoping for the best. 
um, talking about how this team is flawed and then bringing up the kids like we've been talking about here. There is plenty of youth throughout the system, and it will be exciting to see them play full-time in the Majors Leagues this last part of the season. And I'm uh, Jason Waddell. I can be found on Twitter at Jason at the game. Um, and you can find my writings on prospects1500.com and on my own personal site, prospectstorm.com. Um, I am working on a top 50 uh, rankings of the prospects of the Florida State League. I pretty much have everybody listed. I just have to go through and, and write it up. I'll probably wait until the season dies down to do that, though, when it's a little bit slower. And I'm going to try and get out to uh, to Arizona to catch a couple fall league games if I can as well. This weekend I will be uh, attending the uh, Blue Jays' last uh, three homes or the uh, last three games of the regular season, and uh, I believe tomorrow or Saturday they'll be facing Sixto Sanchez. So if you follow me on Twitter, expect a ton of video of Blue Jays hitters um, and and they're at bats. So that'll be coming too this weekend. Gentlemen, it's been a slice. I want to thank my guests on this round table, Jason Waddell, Craig Borden, and Jesse Goldberg Strasler. Thank you for listening to the Jays Journal Podcast. Muchas gracias. Thanks, Ari.